Folks, before we get the episode started, don't forget now, all these podcast episodes, there is also a YouTube episode. Get a chance, you want to see the pictures, crime scene photos, maps, drawings, all that good police stuff. Be sure to go over to YouTube and check out my videos there. Hey folks, it's JR, back for another episode of Echoes of Shannon Street Case File. It's going to be episode 5, Frantic Effort. If you remember from the last episode, Swill and Hester are in the house. They've been taken hostage. Officers Turner, Card, Watson, have tried to enter the house and uh, shots were fired and they had to retreat and take cover and wait for additional cars. So we're gonna pick up from there and move forward. The episode uh, today is gonna be, we're gonna finish up the last little bit of Swill's statement, Ray Swill. And then we're gonna do uh, Officer Aiken's statement Russ Aiken, and then we'll do Russ's partner, rookie officer named Canada, Cedric Canada, and that will now we'll wrap it up for this one here. We get through that. I'm, this one I'm going to try to keep this one between 20 and 30 minutes. I, I really am going to try. So let's go and see if we can't get started. On Swill's statement here, he's just finishing up this long narrative on what was going on inside the house. At this time, the male black that was left with me ran to the door and kneeled inside the doorway such that I could see the sole of his right foot, his back, and his butt. His head and shoulders were stuck inside the door. I opened my eyes, looked at him, rolled over, and ran for the front door as hard as I could. I remember hitting the switch mechanism on the door. This was the wrought iron front door. The front door was standing open. I remember going out into the night. I remember seeing a line of squad cars, thinking, good, help is here. I next remember landing face first in the street next to a squad car with an officer behind it with a shotgun. I remember officer screaming, get behind the car, get behind the car, but I couldn't move. I next remember someone pointing me to a squad car and going to the squad car. And from then on, my memory was very, I'm sure that's supposed to be sporadic. Uh, I remember being on Cleveland in the squad car with Officer Randy Oliver. I remember him advising me we were going to Methodist Hospital. Next thing I remember is being on the emergency room table. And if you'll see on the uh, side here of the statement, I've got the um, notation about if you want to go back and listen to the radio transmissions, you can pick up the call from the officer advising they need an ambulance for an officer that's been shot twice. 
question, is this teeth damage from the gunshot? No, this is from the beating. I received damage in a large scrape to my throat where I was stomped in the throat area, which caused a lot of swelling and pain, such that it was approximately a day or a day and a half before I could swallow without waking up out of a dead sleep. I received a gunshot wound to the left hand, which entered in the palm and passed out through the back of the hand. This gunshot wound blew part of the bone, which runs from the knuckle of the index finger on the left hand to the wrist out. It left fragments in the hand. It fractured the bottom part of the bone that it did not blow out. My left hand will require three different surgeries. First surgery will be close to close entry and exit wounds, and that's all. Then the surgeon advised he would wait until the swelling and any infection had gone down, and he would go in again, and this time remove any fragments he could locate and repair the fractured bottom part of the bone. He would again close the incision, allow the swelling and any infection to go away. In the third operation, he would go in and take bone from my hip and replace the bone that is missing behind the left index finger and make some sort of bone should be graft. I also received a gunshot wound to the right jaw, which passed down through the jaw tissue and passed out the right side of my bottom lip. It is possible that I will have to have plastic surgery on the bottom lip. Moreover, it is uh, probably should be, however, it is not likely. This bullet caused no loss of teeth, bone, or tendon, or nerve. The bullet to the right hand did cause slight nerve damage to the right and middle finger of the left hand. Also received numerous bruises and abrasions about both thighs. Officer Swill, were you hospitalized as a result of these injuries? I was. Doctor advised me I would be in the hospital at this time approximately two weeks if no infection set in. I would be called back two more times for surgery. Doctor also advised me I would not be able to return to patrol car duties for at least six months. All right, that's going to conclude the statement of Officer Swill. Now we're going to get to the statement of uh, Officer Aiken. Officer Aiken, how long have you been a member of the Memphis Police Department? Eight years. Officer Aiken, were you on duty Tuesday, January 11, 1983? And if so, what was your car assignment? I was working that night. I was assigned to car 115. Officer Aiken, what is car 115's territory and duty assignment? 115 is a wild car. That night we were running the whole Frazier area north of the interstate. Officer Aiken, was this a one-man or two-man car? It was a two-man car. Do you know approximately where you were en route when you received word that shots were being fired? Approximately at Hollywood and James. Officer Aiken, how did you approach 2239 Shannon and where did you park your police vehicle? 
we approached the house from westbound on Shannon, on the east side of the house. As you can see here, I've got a map overview of where Aiken was when the call went from officer needs help to shots fired in relation to where 2239 Shannon was and their location at James and Hollywood. Officer Aiken, when you arrived at the scene, did you receive any orders or instructions? And what did you hear when you first arrived? I got out of the car and Lieutenant Summers was just in front of me and somebody in front of the house was yelling that we need somebody in the rear. And Lieutenant Summers turned and looked at me and I told him I would take the rear and he said, okay. Then I looked back and my partner was coming around from the squad car and I told him to stay with him, indicating for him to stay with the lieutenant. Officer Aiken, when you reached the backyard, what action did you take then? When I got to the rear of the house, it was a little garbage can area on the east side of the house. I glanced in it to see if anybody was there. So I went to the back of the house and there was a plate glass window. I peeked around it and dropped down and the rear door was kicked open to the inside of the house. At this time, well, this is when I observed a male black standing in the forward room with a pistol in an upright position. I could see Officer Hester's legs on the ground and they were kicked. Black was over him. I was on the radio and I told the dispatcher, 115, they're beating him. And then I heard two shots. And then I said, they're shooting him. This is when the male black came. Parentheses, who was standing at the officer's feet and turned towards me with the pistol in his hand and began to fire. I returned fire approximately all I can remember is four or five times. I might have emptied my gun at him. I don't remember. At the same time, two other subjects came in from the left of me, and I saw a gun flash to the left side of my face. I wheeled my gun in that direction and pulled the trigger. This is when I realized I, I either shot one time and heard it click, or I was in that position when I heard it click, firing to the left. I turned my body, I realized I was out of ammunition, and I took a running backward, still watching them, and there was some type of bar, stereo, or something there, and I took a leap over it into the floor below in the next room. I was looking back, and a male black was still firing at me, but I noticed one male black on the floor. I could remember he was wearing like a light-colored shirt. I got to the back door, rode out of the back door, got to the corner of the building, somewhere between the corner and the fence, and I dropped my empty rounds. I reloaded and went back towards the door. There was a male black in a darkened corner just behind the setup going from the big room into the den. This male black was continuing firing rounds at me, so I returned fire at him till I was empty. I didn't have anything left. I remember an officer on the east side of the fence I could see he had a shotgun, and I was hollering at him, bring me a shotgun, bring me a shotgun. I took his shotgun from him, 
And subject was still in the corner, and the other subject was still laying on the floor. This time I was standing beside the big plate glass window that was on the wall just east of the door. His bullets hit the plate glass window. I took a shotgun and broke the rest of the window out. I lowered the shotgun in and fired two rounds at the subject that was laying on the floor shooting at me. I, at this time, on the radio, I could hear the subject yelling on the radio to the dispatcher to stop firing or I'm going to kill the motherfucker. I ceased firing, pulled back to the corner of the building and handed the shotgun back to the black officer. If you notice, I have additional notations on that statement indicating time marks where you can go back and listen to the radio transmissions. And this diagram here, we've got a couple of things on it. Number one, it's showing the path that Aiken took to go around the east side of the house, come through the back door, through the meeting room, and then up to the den. Then I've also got marked the locations, approximate locations, of where Hester was and where Swill was. On Swill, as you can see, mark number two, see his path when he escaped from the house. And then, of course, I've got marked the approximate location of suspects that either Swill or Aiken saw and the direction of where gunfire would have come. When Aiken talks about receiving fire from the area of the bedroom, he's, he's talking about the northeast bedroom. He said he received fire from his left, so that would almost certainly have to be the area of the southwest bedroom where it leads into the den. You have to remember on this diagram now, it's deceiving the size of the doorway, so this diagram you're looking at is not drawn to scale. Just remember from the crime scene pictures how big those openings are leading from the northeast bedroom to the kitchen and from the kitchen into the den area. And regarding the suspect that Officer Swill says he can see the, the soles of his shoes, that would have to put that suspect in that little hallway where it, uh, you have that door that leads into the kitchen. If he's sitting somewhere there, he could look through that opening, which is much larger than the diagram, in order to look through the kitchen to see where the officer is that's shooting. This is what allowed uh, Swill to escape, was the fact that Aiken is, is engaging multiple suspects in a gun battle. So that, and probably when uh, Haskum... When she fires her shotgun, that may have helped some too, but uh, you can credit Aiken, Russ Aiken, for Swill being allowed to escape from the house because he drew all the attention back to the south. This diagram here, overview of the den leading into the kitchen, and then back to the southwest bedroom which would be at the top of the diagram the kitchen as you can see is to the right and the meeting room would be back to the left down the stairs but this just gives you another perspective of of where aiken was was approximately standing 
And as you can see, you have a suspect. He would come out of the, the southwest bedroom because, of course, remember the house. You can go from room to room. So that would allow the suspect to go from the living room down the hall, take a right, go through the northwest bedroom, then walk into the southwest bedroom, and then come out to the opening where it leads into the den to engage Aiken in gunfire. This picture here showing the backyard, which is the south side of the house. You can see the path of retreat. This is what Aiken has to retreat from the house to, to reload. He goes to that corner, that southeast corner. And we know he's accurate in where he unloaded because crime scene would later recover five empty casings in one live round of 38 caliber ammunition from the southeast corner of the house. So Russ did have one more round, but uh, I'd say considering everything he did, I think we can allow him uh, to have dumped one live round. And then, of course, from that position, he would go back in and come back out. The officer standing with the shotgun, when he got the shotgun, that would be close to that corner as well. Now, this is a continuation of Aiken's answer told him to hold the position at the rear of the house. Now, that's Aiken talking to the officer that's standing at the fence, the one that he borrowed the shotgun from. Okay, let's go on, continue his answer. I ran back along the side of the cars, back to the van and to Lieutenant Summers. Captain Randall was standing behind him. I told Lieutenant Summers that an officer was down in the front room and that they had shot him twice. I told C.R. Summers that I was out of ammunition, and he hands me a handful of ammunition. I reloaded, went back around to the back of the house, and at this time, Steve Parker had gotten to the west side of the building in the rear. The black officer with the shotgun, when I got back there, he had moved from that location and went somewhere else. I don't know where, just disappeared. Me and Parker moved up to the rear of the house. I went to look in the broken frame window to see if I could see anything moving. We were hearing a police radio coming from the floor area just below the windowsill. As I turned my head in the window, I caught the flash out of the front of my face. This was a pistol flash from inside the house through the window. Then Parker and me stepped back to the corners of the house and covered the position until Tactical units arrived. <coughs> Excuse me. Officer Aiken, you stated previously you saw Officer Hester's legs. Do you know for sure it was Officer Hester or could it have been another officer? I wasn't for sure. I was assuming that it was Officer Hester because after I went back to get some more ammunition, they told me that Ray was out. I didn't see the officer's face. I just know it was an officer's trousers and shoes. Officer Aiken, how much lighting was in the area where you saw a male black with a pistol when you first entered? It was lit up enough to tell that he was probably about six foot tall, male black, hair was bushy. I could see his face enough to know he was black, but not enough to identify him. Officer Aiken, could you determine if the one you saw standing up 
was the one firing the first two shots you heard after you entered the house, or was it someone else? The one that was standing to the officer's feet and had the pistol pointed towards the ceiling when I heard the first two shots, he was still standing with the gun pointed towards the ceiling. The other was over the officer, and the shots were loud enough to where they came from the, that room, possibly fired by the subject over the officer. Officer Aiken, could you determine how many shots were fired at you when you became involved in the gunfight? I remember the one that was standing on the, I mean, at the officer's feet, and I remember two shots. I remember a flash to the left of me. I don't remember how many flashes. I turned, either fired one round or maybe not any. I just remember a click. Do you remember how many shots were fired at you after you reloaded the pistol? He had to have fired at least three or four shots. I'm trying to come back into the room. He fired at least three or four shots at me. Officer Aiken, when the suspect was firing at you, what would his shots have struck when they missed you? Gone out the door, window, or the wall on the south side? Officer Aiken, did you ever unload your pistol inside the back room where you were being shot at? And this answer here by Aiken, no, I'm sure I did not, <clears throat> is in response to that question about uh, where he reloaded at. Question, Officer Aiken, do you remember where you emptied your second load? No, I was thinking it may have been towards front of the street by CR's car where I got my shells. Officer Aiken, in regards to the first shots you fired at the suspect, where were you, where was your shots hit if they'd missed the suspect? Probably the north wall of the kitchen area, probably the northwest wall. Officer Aiken, your second loader of pistol shots, where would they have struck? They would have struck the north end of the bar area in the den. Let me interject something real quick here because I'll forget later to tell you. That's one of the questions that uh, that's always asked by security squad. I was in security squad for three years, so we always would ask an officer, what was your background? Not their personal background, where they went to school or what was their favorite lunch. When we ask them about what was their background, it was if your shots would have missed the intended target, where would they have gone? You know, a wall, little kids across the street at a school. So officers always have to be aware of their background when they make a decision on whether they're going to fire or not. So that's why you'll see this question being asked over and over again about where would your shots have gone if they would have missed. And also remember now that uh, Aiken, the first time he dumped his rounds and reloaded, that was at the corner of the house. The second time is when he's talking about going up near where the lieutenant was at, near the black van on the east side of the house. Officer right. Aiken, where would the shotgun blast go? Both blast to the back corner of the bar area. Officer Aiken, could you tell if any of your shots struck any of the suspects you fired at? The first shots I fired, the one standing in the kitchen, I remember him going down. 
either he was going down because I shot him or to take cover. The two that was in the den area, I assumed I shot one because he was laid out on the floor. The male black that was in the corner was trying to drag him as if to get him under cover. The subject couldn't move by himself. This was all from my first load from my pistol. Officer Aiken, could you tell if your second load or any of the shotgun blasts struck any of the suspects? The only way I could tell it hit somebody is that the suspect was shooting at me, quit shooting. Officer Aiken, when you reloaded your pistol and turned to the rear of the house and the shot came out the window in front of your face, where would the suspect have been then? He would have been behind the circular couch to the rear of it or in the front of it down on the floor. All right, this last diagram here is just an overview of where some of the officers were at at the beginning. Obviously, it's not complete. There would have been a few more there, probably, but this is the main ones right at the beginning. I hope you like diagrams. I do, so you'll probably see a lot more of them. It certainly helps me to understand the story a little better. Well, look, we're not going to have enough time to do uh, Officer Canada's statement. That's Aiken's uh, rookie partner. Because if, if we do, it's going to put us over 30 minutes. And I'm so proud that I've actually stayed under 30 minutes this time. So we're going to end it right here. And we'll get together here in a few days on uh, episode six. And we'll pick up with Officer Canada. Because there is something interesting. Something that Russ told him before he ran to the back of the or along the east side of the house to eventually go into the back of the house. Something he told him. And I'll explain the story behind it. Not a very pleasant story, but it'll be a good story to tell you on why he said it. Folks, I appreciate y'all hanging in there with me and we will see you down the road.